David for leading the singing. Mark in Florida, I got to participate in a Bible study with uh, some Christians in India uh, who uh, are studying with Nikki's father and another preacher here in the U.S. We did that over Zoom and had a good uh, study with them, but it's nice to think about Christians all over the world today remembering our Savior like we have, like uh, we have been instructed in the Bible. That's an encouraging thing and to think about that. Well, there are times in our lives when we get discouraged. This can happen in spite of our best efforts to serve the Lord and remain positive. Things may be going very good one minute, and then just out of the blue, something that happens that knocks our, the wind out of our sails, and we become discouraged. And when this discouragement happens, it can make it very difficult to continue working for the Lord like we would like to. Things that were simple before now become very difficult. Something as simple as calling a brother or sister to check on them or encourage them. Like you've done so many times before. May just be out of the question because of how you're feeling, because of the discouragement that you're facing. And when this happens, it can leave us feeling guilty. Why am I discouraged? What's wrong with me? What is lacking in my spiritual life that has allowed me to get into this shape? And why can't I keep doing what I want to do in the service to the Lord? Have you ever felt this way? Is this described, is this described the way that you may have felt in the past? Or maybe you're feeling even this morning? Discouragement. If so, I think we can learn some important lessons from the person in the Bible that we've been spending a lot of time studying in our Bible class on Sunday morning, the Apostle Paul. Paul faced difficult times in his life. Paul faced discouragement, and it was significant discouragement. In fact, it hindered him in his service to the Lord. Look at one such instance, and I'll put the map that we've been studying in our Bible class on Sunday morning on the screen. We're going to join Paul this morning in our lesson in his third missionary journey and relatively early in his third missionary journey in Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, we join Paul in Ephesus. In the town of Ephesus, you'll remember that Paul is enjoying tremendous success. It's here that he is working these phenomenal miracles, miracles that convince people that the gospel is real and result in many, including many of those who had practiced magic into becoming disciples of Christ. And it produced the famous burning of the books that we studied in Acts chapter 19 that demonstrated the repentance of those who, on the part of those who had practiced the craft of magic. Paul stays in Ephesus for two years, over two years. And from the town of Ephesus, he writes the book of 1 Corinthians. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is uh, addressing the numerous challenges that the church there in Corinth is facing. These challenges were numerous, and several of them probably come to your mind when you think about 1 Corinthians. They had the problem there of putting preachers up on a pedestal to the point of being divisive over who was on whose side. They had the problem of the incestuous relationship in the church that the church was tolerating and embracing. 
They had the problem of turning the Lord's Supper into a common meal and making a spectacle out of the Lord's Supper. They had the problem of fighting over miraculous gifts, who had the better gift and who was more important in the church. All the problems that they faced in Corinth, Paul addresses them from the town of Ephesus. Paul leaves uh, Antioch in Acts chapter uh, 18, verse 23. In Acts chapter 18, verse 23, after he had spent some time here, he departed, went over the region of Galatia and Priga, Afriga in order, strengthening all the disciples. And he comes here to Ephesus where he writes this book. These things that Paul had been addressing with the church at Corinth were weighing heavy on Paul's mind. But he had important work to do in Ephesus. And he could write then to the Christians in Corinth the following message that we read in Acts chapter, or 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 8 and 9 that Joseph just read for us. I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Paul was encouraged at this point, wasn't he? about the work that he was able to do. He says, a great and effective door. This door of opportunity is open, and it is effectual. It is bearing fruit. Lots of fruit is being born in Ephesus. But he does note that there are many adversaries. And those adversaries, as we go on in the book of Acts, if you turn your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, some of those adversaries included the whole city getting in an uproar and rioting against Paul. In Acts chapter 19, beginning at verse 23, in Acts chapter 19. And about that time there arose a great commotion about the way, for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have by our, our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned many people away, saying they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with commotion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. The whole city now is in an uproar. Are there adversaries? Yeah, there are adversaries. The whole city is worked up about Paul and what he's teaching. After this riot, the time has come to leave Ephesus. In Acts chapter 20, drop down to verse 1. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself and embraced them and departed to go into Macedonia. So after about two and a half years in, in Ephesus, Paul realizes it's time to go on. And he goes on now to Macedonia. Uh -oh. He goes on to Macedonia. As he had told the, the folks, as he wrote 1 Corinthians, that, that Joseph just read for us, that he was going to come to them. Now he's going to come to them. And then go to verse 2. So now he's going from Ephesus up into Macedonia. Look at verse 2 of Acts chapter 20. Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece. And so he goes from Macedonia and goes down to Greece. But something very important happens between 
verse 1 and verse 2 of Acts chapter 20. And Luke doesn't say anything about it. But when Paul leaves Ephesus, he goes up to Troas to catch the boat to Macedonia. While he's in Troas, something happens that Luke doesn't mention, but Paul mentions in his second book to, go, to the church at Corinth. Look what happens in, Corinth, or in Troas on his way to Macedonia in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning of verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning of verse 12. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, brother, but taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. Paul says, I was on my way to Macedonia and I came to Troas. He says there was something going on so bad. I was so troubled. There was a door open to me there in Troas, but I couldn't go through that door. I couldn't take advantage of that opportunity because of the burden that was on me, because of the discouragement that I faced. That's shocking, isn't it? Because just down in Ephesus, just down in Ephesus, he had had this great door of opportunity. But now that he's in Troas, he can't take advantage of that opportunity because of the discouragement that he faced. This morning, I want to look at that with you. This, what could cause this change? What could cause this change in Paul? He had this strong desire to meet up with Titus. He had no rest in his spirit until he could meet up with Titus. Apparently, Paul wanted to meet up with Titus to find out what was going on with the church at Corinth. We learn about this later on in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 7. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning of verse 5. Paul recounts what Timothy communicated with him when they met up. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. But we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts a, comforts a downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation which he, had, which he was comforted in you. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. Apparently, the church at Corinth had repented about what was going on in Corinth and that wrote them that letter. And Paul was so discouraged about what was going on in Corinth and so concerned about what was going on in Corinth, he had no rest until he could get with Timothy and find out that the church there was repented of their ways and doing better. But the problems at Corinth apparently weren't the only things that were weighing on Paul at this time as well. Paul, around the time he writes the, book, the letter to Corinth, also writes the book of Romans. And turn over to book, the book of Romans, chapter 15, beginning of verse 25. Apparently, at this time, there was also conflict within the church that was causing Paul to be discouraged. In Romans chapter 15, look at verse 25. But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. This is that third missionary journey again. He has the, the collection that he's taken up for the saints. He's going to take it to Jerusalem. Notice what it says here. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are at Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the, Galatia, the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also 
<coughs> excuse me, to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I perform this and have sealed uh, to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. Notice this. And that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. He's talking here about the financial relief that he's taking to the Christians in Jerusalem. And he was concerned that the Christians there in Jerusalem wouldn't accept the gift because of who it came from, from the Gentiles. It was coming from the Gentiles, and he was worried that the Jewish Christians there wouldn't accept it. And that weighed heavy on Paul's mind. He begged them to pray that the Christians there would accept the gift. That had to be, no doubt, very discouraging to him after all that he had given to spread the gospel to the Gentiles to be faced with the reality that the Jewish Christians may not accept that gift. And so now we see that when this open door was presented in Troas, Paul, because of the condition that he found himself in, was unable to take advantage of that opportunity. And he had to pass on the opportunity. Paul's life was given and devoted to preaching the gospel no matter the cost. But in Troas, he couldn't keep on going because of the discouragement that he had. There are a lot of things for us to learn from this. What do we learn? First, I want to tell you that we need to remember that as we serve God, discouraging times are going to come. We prepare for difficult times in our lives so that when they come, we're ready. Anybody here have a first aid kit in your car? Why do you have that kit? Because difficult times might come, right? You might have an accident. You might need that. You keep a flashlight by your bed. Why? The power might go out. You might need that flashlight. Do you have a rainy day fund or an emergency fund set aside? Because there might come a time where you need that. We prepare for difficult times. The preparation won't keep the difficult times from coming, but it helps us to be ready when they do come. They don't catch us off guard. The same is true for us spiritually. We need to be aware that difficult times are going to come. They're going to come in our lives. They came in the life of Paul. They will come in our lives. They're going to come in spite of us devoting our lives to serving God. They're going to come in spite of us working hard to serve God. They came in Paul's life. They're coming in ours. And we should, this shouldn't surprise us. This shouldn't shake our faith. We need to be prepared in advance. The scriptures tell us repeatedly that difficult times are going to come. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 beginning. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter said, difficult times are going to come. Be prepared for those times. Don't be shocked. But I'm afraid too many times we are surprised and shocked, unfortunately. 
I'm trying really hard to live right. Why does this discouragement come my way? I'm making lots of sacrifices to serve God. Why do I have to face this discouragement and this difficult situation? I'm fully committed to doing the right thing and living like I should. I'm trying very hard with my family to encourage my family and my spouse, my kids to serve God. Why does this happen to me? It isn't fair. When we think like this, it opens the door for our faith to be shaken. We need to be prepared that difficult times are going to become, becoming. Don't be surprised. Instead, be prepared. We also need to remember God that discouraging times keep up, may keep us from serving God like we'd like to and capitalizing on every opportunity to serve the Lord. The discouragements that we face may make it difficult or impossible to serve God like we want to. Paul had the opportunity to preach the gospel in Troas. He couldn't capitalize on that because of the discouragement that he faced. And because of our discouragement, maybe we can't be the encouragement to others that we want to be right now. Maybe we can't teach someone about the gospel like we'd like to right now because of our discouragement. Maybe we can't help a brother or a sister with an issue in their life because of the discouragement that we are facing in ours. We may not be able to capitalize on every opportunity to serve the Lord like we want to because of the discouragement that we face. Now, it's important to note that this isn't an issue of priorities. This isn't because we put other things ahead of serving God. Paul didn't pass on the open door in Troas because he had a career opportunity that he wanted to pursue. He didn't say, you know, there's an opportunity to teach over there, but... I got a good opportunity over here in my career. I'm going to choose the career. He didn't do that. He didn't pass on the opportunity to teach the gospel in Troas because he was really into hunting. And the guys in Macedonia had a big hunting trip planned and he really wanted to get over there and hunt with them. No, that's not what was going on. He wasn't passing on the opportunity to preach because he was really more interested in the physical possessions and riches that he could gather over in Macedonia. And he passed on that. No. Paul had his priorities in the right spot. The problem was that he was discouraged. And his concern was too great to take the opportunity to present the gospel in Troas. Again, we see no guilt here on Paul's part. He just was so discouraged that he couldn't preach. We need to remember that. Furthermore, we need to remember, though, that we can't quit. We can't just give up. Paul wasn't content to stay in this state of discouragement. And nor should we be content to wallow in our discouragement. Paul kept moving, and we need to keep moving as well. If he couldn't work in Troas, he was going to press forward to get to the place where he could work. And we need to be like that as well. Paul isn't the only one who was discouraged in the Bible. Turn over in your Old Testaments to 1 Kings chapter 19. Look at 1 Kings chapter 19. Here's someone who was discouraged. Elijah, after he had killed the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, notice the discouragement that he found himself in there in 1 Kings 19, beginning of verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. 
But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough now, Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. And he lay and slept under a broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there was by his head a cake of baked, baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel, uh, 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 the angel said, uh, the, Lord, uh, of the, of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank. And he went in strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of the God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. The children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a small, still voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because of the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left in the wilderness of Damascus. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu the son of Nimshi as king over Israel. And Elijah stood, the son of Nephat, uh, son Shephat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as a prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever accepts the, escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah was discouraged, wasn't he? He was discouraged. He faced discouragement. And notice that God didn't chide Elijah for being discouraged. But also notice that he didn't allow Elijah to stay there. He encouraged Elijah. And we can be discouraged, and it may keep us from serving God like we would like but we can't stay there. We've got to keep pushing on. And my battery has died. I had a really nice rest of the presentation. You'll have to trust me on that. Number four, messages to remember from this story of Paul is that we need to seek comfort from our brethren. Paul desperately needed to find Titus, didn't he? He needed to be with him. He needed to know what his brethren were doing. He needed to know that his brethren were okay. And when we're discouraged, we need our brethren. We need our brethren when we're discouraged. And sadly, when we're discouraged, we shy away from our brethren. And sadly, our brethren may shy away from us when we're discouraged. But when we're discouraged, we need each other. You'll have to turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. Just a few more verses before we conclude this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. You brethren, warn. First Thessalonians 5, verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. When we're discouraged, we know our brethren that are, will uphold us and encourage us and be patient with us and help us.
We're part of one body. And we need to have that same care for each other that we would have for one part of our body that is hurting and that is discouraged. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning of verse 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning of verse 26. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. When you're feeling discouraged, you need to move closer to your brethren, not farther away. Paul was discouraged, and he desperately needed his brethren. And then finally, point number five to remember from this story of Paul not being able to take the door of opportunity when it presented itself because of his discouragement. We need to remember that we need to handle the challenge properly so that we can be a positive influence on others. The way we handle discouragement will have an impact on others. If we handle discouragement the wrong way, others will be discouraged. If we handle it the right way, however, others will be encouraged. Turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and notice the result of Paul handling the discouragement correctly. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. I'm sorry, let's see. Yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I departed from Macedonia. Now verse 14. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Paul was victorious over the discouragement. And as a result of that, the fragrance of his knowledge was diffused in every place. Paul handled the discouragement correctly. If we handle the discouragement correctly, we'll be an encouragement to others. This wasn't the only time that Paul handled discouragement and challenges correctly and was an encouragement to others. One more verse, Philippians chapter 1, beginning of verse 12. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Philippians 1, verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ, and most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul had handled conflict and adversity and discouragement in a way that was encouraging to others, and we will do the same if we handle it the right way. Are we handling our discouragement correctly when it comes? Are we an encouragement to others when we face those times. Well, discouragement is going to come. Discouragement will come. We shouldn't be surprised. We need to understand that it will come and we need to be prepared for it when it does come. We need to make sure that we uh, uh, understand that that may hinder us from doing what we'd like to do, but we're not going to stay there. We're going to keep moving. We're going to seek comfort and help from our brethren. We're going to handle the discouragement in such a way that it will be pleasing to God and be an encouragement to those who are around us. I hope the things that we've looked at this morning have been helpful to you. A little fact that we don't learn from the book of Acts, but is supplied by those epistles that are interlaced with the timeline that we're going down through of how Paul faced discouragement so great 
that he couldn't take the door of opportunity that was presented to him in Troas. How are you living this morning? Are you living your life in such a way that you'll be pleasing to God and that you can be an encouragement to your brethren? If you're not, would you make correction to that? And if we can help, let us know while we stand and sing.